never fully appreciate the blessings that you have until uh, you don't have them. And uh, I really appreciate those handrails. Those are nice. Those are really solid, well-built. I know now their purpose. Uh, Valentine's Day was this past Friday. I don't know if you are a one who celebrates the holiday of Hallmark, but um, uh, Christy and I and the kids usually celebrate with small little gifts and cards, and I uh, very much appreciated this cute little card my sweetie got me. On the front, it's this pretty pink card. You can't see it, but it simply says three simple words, I like you. Oh, sweet. Open it up. You don't have cooties. Sometimes sometimes you you need to pay someone to create a card like that. That's uh, straight from the heart. I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself really good at picking out cards. I don't consider myself real good at writing cards. Uh, But they do have a lot of people who are talented at that. And perhaps you saw this online of uh, uh, some... Biblical Valentines. These would be King Solomon's Valentine's cards. I thought they uh, were kind of funny. Um, taken straight from the scripture. Uh, there's some, some things you might consider if you have struggled writing a card. Uh, thy nose is as the Tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. That, uh, that'll, that'll do something for your relationship. Uh, thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. That's, uh, I don't know, next time you see your beloved and her hair's looking real good, just tell her, looking like a flock of goats, baby. And uh, that'll uh, get you a few sessions in with Elaine, probably. <laughs> Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep. This is always my favorite one, that are, <laughs> that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every... Uh, everyone that bears twins and none is barren among them. That's, uh, yeah, doesn't that just make you go, oh, uh, your teeth are like freshly shorn sheep. Well, you know, it is proof that there is hope for anyone. I mean, Solomon, you know, 700 wives, uh, apparently it worked for somebody. Uh, I mean, maybe it was just he had 700 wives because, uh, because he couldn't <laughs> make those pickup lines work, but... Um, we are talking in, as in the series on families today, and we've been in this series for a couple weeks now, and today we're talking about marriage matters, and it really does matter. Um, it was one of the very first ideas of God, if you think about it. Um, it that institution that God created predated so many things that you and I are used to. It predated nations. It predated civil governments. It predated the church. This divine institution that God had in mind in response to Adam and him being alone. And so, as we think about why marriage matters, and that it matters to God, we're going to go back to the original, the original plan, and think a little bit about how that applies to us. Now, it was a perfect world. We understand we don't live in a perfect world, and so uh, it doesn't entirely, but there are some principles that we can learn and apply. So if you're in your Bibles, if you're in your few Bible, go to page 3. If you're in your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 2. The scripture that was already read for us is where we will be as our core text 
And I'd like to read it again if you'll humor me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's verse 25. Before we messed it up with sin and selfishness and self-centeredness, God had marriage in mind. It mattered to Him. And though our world strays far from the divine origins of this wonderful covenant, it still matters to God. And it still should matter to God's people. As we think about this original design, let's just kind of go through this verse and think about and discern how we might be better in the covenant of marriage. And if you're a single person, I do want to say at the outset, sometimes you're a message on marriage and you think, oh, okay, just tune out because this is for not me. You know, here I am, second-class citizen again in the church. And I want you to know that that's not the case. There is some, uh, and we're going to get to the, this at the end of the message, uh, ap- uh, lessons from marriage for all of us, even if you're not a married person. There's uh, a gospel implication. The first thing marriage requires is maturity. Now, when I say maturity, the scripture says a man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Maturity is not about age. It's about an attitude of mind. It's a choice to love and to act in a loving manner. Um, If you are uh, following along in scriptures, turn to the most well-known scripture on love. The the verses read at all weddings, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, page 1230 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, believe it or not, in this context, Paul was not talking about love in the sense that we often think of it. He's speaking in spiritual gifts. He's speaking to a church that spoke in tongues and had prophecy and healings and all of that. And Paul said, listen, all that's going to die. All of that's going to shortly come to pass. That's not, there's going to be a time in the church when those things are not needed. We live in that time now. Okay? But he said there's one gift that's higher and greater and, and really even deeper and wider than we can understand. And it's agape, God's love. And here's what it looks like. And we know the scriptures probably, but... Uh, Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant nor rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will cease, or they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, I want you to focus, uh, all of that's good, but I want you to focus on verse 11 here. This is, this is uh, one part that is so important when you ask yourself, am I a loving person? Look, verse 11. When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You see, children, and, and no offense to children, I know they're not in children's training hour, but children are, are by default selfish. 
They are, are only focused on themselves and what mom and dad need to do for me and what the family does for me. And so the, one of our jobs in the family is to train them out of that, to show them that love means maturity, and maturity means not thinking like a child any longer, not thinking only of yourself, but instead thinking about another. And I, I think that's God's greatest purpose for us as we go through life, is for us to learn how to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. And the thing that most inhibits that is the person that you see in the mirror every day, yourself. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, wrote this, Marriage introduces you to yourself. And it turns out you're not as noble or as easy to live with as you thought. When you go from being single to being a married person, you realize that, that for all of your life, your primary concern has been yourself. But when you do marriage, when you step into that holy covenant, God wants husbands to love their wives in such a way that they give their lives up for their wives. God wants wives to submit to their husbands in a loving way because they respect his leadership as head of the home. That is not easy. We are born self-centered, caring only about ourselves and only about our needs exclusively. Marriage in God's design was designed to focus on our love, not on ourselves, but on someone else. To take the focus off of yourself and into the life of someone else besides you. You've heard of the Hubble Telescope. Uh, Hubble Telescope, actually, I, I wasn't even sure until I was uh, doing research on the sermon if the Hubble Telescope still functioned. It does. It actually, it's still getting lots of great images. It can see 10 to 15 billion light years into space. It's, a, it's an amazing. It vastly increased our knowledge and awareness of, of the deepness of the created universe. But as they look 10 to 15 billion years out and they scan the universe, you know what they've discovered? That you are not at the center of it. I know, that's, that's a shocking surprise to some of you. But you don't, have to, you don't have to look through the Hubble telescope. You don't have to be an engineer at NASA. Marriage will teach you that. Marriage is designed to, to make you realize that God wants you to love someone else besides yourself. And when you begin to do that, you begin to mature. I don't mean maturity when I say marriage needs maturity. We're not talking about a physical age. I've known very old people who are childish. Okay? They, they just have, st- they cannot stop thinking about themselves. That's, that's, we're not talking physical maturity here. We're talking about spiritual maturity. If you will uh, yield to what God has in mind for marriage you will grow more mature. You will learn to submit your will to another because it's in their best interest, not necessarily in yours. So the first thing that marriage needs is maturity. The second thing that marriage needs, as we go back to Genesis chapter 2, page 3, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Second thing that marriage requires is boundaries. This is important. 
when, when two people, husband and wife, uh, either here at the, in the auditorium as, as they'll come to and their families are here and their friends are here and people from church and, and you, you, their attendants are here and the, the ring bearer and the flower girl and the, here's the husband and here's the bride. What's happening in that moment is something in the spiritual realm, the scripture says that God is creating a new home, a new family. Something new is happening in, in God's eyes. And we may not see it. The world ridicules and mocks and considers marriage disposable. But in God's eyes, when these two are making covenant with one another, a new home is being created. And to do that effectively requires some boundaries. Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs 22, verse 28. The scripture says, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Uh, back in that culture, it didn't have, a, you know, today we, if I go out in my yard and I, I find a, a certain point in my yard and I dig down a little bit, I'll find a, a piece of metal with an orange color to it. And it's the marker and it, it divides. It says, at this point, my property stops and my neighbor's begins. And that's important. Whether you're mowing a lawn or putting up a fence, you have to know where that boundary is because you're responsible for one part and you're not responsible for another part. Well, in the same way that we require boundaries in our physical homes, God intends us to have boundaries in our spiritual homes, the covenant of marriage. Uh, the, the Genesis says a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. See, in that moment, back to the marriage, the wedding ceremony, these two people are leaving their families, not permanently. They're not going to see them again or talking to them again. But what's, what's happening, follow me here, is, is something, I mean, what you thought was just a very special, heartwarming moment is really going back to Genesis chapter 2. And that moment when the, everyone's standing there looking at the bride and the father's escorting the bride. And, and there's this moment where he stops and I say, who gives this woman to be married? And usually he'll say something like, her mother and I. And, and then he'll give her a little kiss and a little squeeze and probably some tears coming down the cheeks. And then he will reach over and shake this new groom's hand and he will step in to his spot. Now what's happening there in that moment is exactly what Genesis chapter 2 said. A man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And that's more important than just in the ceremony. A marriage to function properly has to have boundaries. If you don't, you'll have a very stressed marriage. Now some people get tense around this subject. And, and I would just say... People who don't like boundaries are most often people who don't have boundaries. You've got to have boundaries. God intended for you to have boundaries within your marriage. I'm not saying you stop loving your mom and dad. I'm not saying you stop loving your grandparents and grand. But you have to, you and your wife, you and your husband must work together, trusting one another in the covenant of marriage. It's a new home. When Christian and I were first married, we moved 1,600 miles away to Phoenix, Arizona. 
We still talk to our families. We still were near them at holidays on occasion. But in those first two years, we had to do something that was so crucial for our marriage. We had to learn to trust one another. We had to depend on one another. We had to communicate together. And sometimes when the boundaries get messy, couples don't learn how to do that. I'm not saying you have to move 1,600 miles away. But I, I need you to know as a husband and wife that you need to affirm yourself as a separate entity, as a family. And husbands, you need to take on the role of a spiritual leader. And wives, you need to submit and you need to encourage and nurture one another. Now, this is we're going to get into all this in, in the next couple of weeks, so don't throw stones at me yet. Okay. Biblically speaking, God designed this to work in a certain way. And to do it at, at the outset requires boundaries. We have boundaries all the time. As, as we began the service, they closed the door. That's a boundary. Okay? You have doors on your homes, and, and you probably lock your doors to your car. And, and those are all examples of boundaries. We have fences around our yards. Those are boundaries. Those are important. But not just the physical boundaries. There's emotional boundaries. You know, there's relational boundaries. When I counsel a young married couple, and this is so true in the age of social media, I tell them, if you're a married person, you cannot behave like a single person. Those days are over. Okay? You have to begin drawing boundaries. So married couples, you should have full access to each other's social media. You should have full access to all the emails and the text messages, not because you don't trust one another, but because now the two have become one. You've got to set those boundaries. And I even think you have to have spiritual boundaries. Uh, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, set a, a well-known boundary. Joshua chapter 24, 15, page 252, if you're caring to follow along. Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your forefathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, did you catch what he said there? Joshua understood boundaries. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that means sometimes you say, as for me and my house, no, we're not going to the ball game. We'll be at worship today. Now, as for me and my house, we're not going to watch that on television. As for me and my house, you're not going to be out watching that on YouTube. I don't care. As for me and my house, you get to set those spiritual boundaries as for you and your house. And I think God's going to hold you account to that. And uh, your lack of boundaries will become a problem. God has boundaries for us. And those boundaries, by the way, are intended to be a blessing, not a burden. Okay, I don't want to become too hard on you here, but God has these boundaries for a reason. In our world, the word marriage has become muddled. It's unclear, it's fuzzy, because so many people have taken it over. God drew very clear boundaries about what he intended for marriage. And it's this. It's a very simple equation. One man and one woman for one lifetime. That's it. That's marriage. 
Now, regardless of how the world redefines it and saying everybody can marry everybody and it doesn't really matter, you can marry yourself, okay, all of those ideas are outside of the boundary that God intended for marriage. Matthew chapter 19. People asked Jesus about marriage. They were specifically asking about divorce. Divorce had run rampant in that world. And Jesus said, and they were asking about this. He says, they asked, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, and this is page 10, uh, 1057, page nine, Matthew 19. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. I'm sorry. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I know that's not culturally acceptable or politically correct. I really don't care. My job this morning is not to tell you the ways of the world. My job is to reaffirm the boundaries that God set on marriage, male and female. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together let not man separate. Does that, does that passage sound familiar? It should. Jesus was quoting Genesis chapter 2. When the people tried to put Jesus in a corner and say, wait, 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 is this okay? Is this fine? Is, Jesus said, whoa, 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 didn't you read? Did you forget your basic training? Did you forget the fundamentals of Scripture? God created them male and female. And he intended them to be not two, but one. And what God joined together, let no one separate. Again, these boundaries are, are designed not to be a burden, but a blessing. And let's just think very frankly here. Since the sexual revolution of some 60 years ago, is the world better off from that? Maybe we would do well to do like Jesus did and say, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Let's look at another one, Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews says this about the marriage covenant relationship. He says, Let marriage be held, should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Those boundaries are important, and the, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to, to honor the sexual relationship between husband and wife. Somehow, the beauty and, and the gift of sex that God intended between husband and wife was somehow taken away from the, by the world from the church. And so the world talks about it in so many misguided and ungodly ways, and the church often fails to talk about it at all. That's not, there's nothing wrong with sex between a husband and a wife. In fact, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, keep the marriage bed pure. The enemy is working to get single people into the marriage bed as quickly as possible and before marriage. And then he works to get married people who are in covenant to not be in the marriage bed hardly at all. The scripture is quite clear. 
We should honor marriage and in doing so keep the marriage bed pure. Those, that's, that's God's boundaries. Imagine a bed and a, and a holy boundary around that. And what takes place in that bed is beautiful. And it creates families and it bonds a husband and wife together. And I'm convinced is the God's holy superglue. But superglue is a dangerous thing if you don't use it as the manufacturer intended, right? You ever stick two fingers together and, yeah. You ever glue something together that shouldn't be glued together? That's what's happening in our world with sex. Human beings go outside the boundaries. Whether you're talking about polygamy, whether you're talking about homosexuality, whether you're talking about divorce, whether you're talking about incest, whether you're talking about adultery, whether you're talking about transsexuality, all of that stuff is outside the boundary. And human beings think, Oh, we're outside the boundaries. We're free. We're free. Look at us. And all you've done is put yourself right back into slavery. God intended that boundary not to be a burden, but to be a blessing to protect your marriage and to protect your family. Outside the boundaries is nothing, nothing. And hear me well. Outside the boundaries is nothing but heartache and heartbreak and eternity. Eternal consequences. What's the problem? The world says, love is love. Love is love. Just love who you want. Do what makes you happy and love who makes you happy. It sounds good, but it's just a good sounding lie. What's the real problem? Well, let me tell you by talking about and telling a story. Let me tell you about Charlie. Charlie is our dog, little Havanese, very spoiled animal. He lives in our house, eats our food, drinks our water, stays in our yard mostly, leaves little gifts in the yard. We make Charlie stay in our house. We make Charlie stay behind our fence or on a leash. In the picture there, if you look real close, you can see the fence. Now, there's something within Charlie that kind of is curious about what's outside the fence. And if he works just enough, and if he hasn't eaten in a day or two, he can squeeze through the bars. But you know what? You know what lies outside the bars? Nothing but hardship and heartache for Charlie. Now, he doesn't realize that. He doesn't know how dangerous it is outside the fence and outside our home. But you see, Charlie is safe and loved and fed and watered. And every blessing is his within the boundaries of our home. Outside the fence, outside the boundaries, life becomes infinitely more hard for Charlie. May we learn the lesson, Charlie, and stop trying to go outside the fence. Two people come to me and ask me to marry them. I will say I have two requirements, and they are this. Number one, you need to go to counseling and talk through some of these things. And number two, you can't be living together. So, oh, that's awfully hardcore, you Pharisee. Listen. I need what I do and bless on Saturday afternoons and Saturday evenings to be in line with what I teach on Sunday mornings. 
I'm not judging you. I just know that regardless of what the world says, I know a lot of people shacking up and living together and that's okay and we just forget about those old-fashioned ways. But what I do know is all the blessings from God are inside the boundaries, inside the marriage covenant. To put it more directly, boyfriends and girlfriends in God's eyes do not get husband and wife privileges. May we hold fast to the covenant and not forget that God set up some holy boundaries to be a blessing and not to be a burden. I had more to say, but we're going to stop there today. I want to invite you to submit yourself to God's ways in all ways. If you're living in such a way where you're outside the boundaries, you're living in an ungodly way outside the marriage bed, maybe you need to repent in a public way, or, or maybe you'd like to go talk to our shepherds privately and have them pray with you and for you. If you, you need to ask for forgiveness and repent, that's what church is for. That's where true healing and restoration can begin. But this morning I also want to ask you to submit yourself in another way to a, a higher covenant than marriage, and that is the covenant of Christ. If you have not confessed him as Lord, if you have not obeyed him in the gospel of putting him on in baptism, and you haven't been forgiven of your sins or received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the good news is, it can change right now, this very moment. If you have that need or any other spiritual need, our shepherds, our spiritual shepherds, will be awaiting you down front. If you have a need, please meet us down front as together we stand and sing.